On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people for God's glory and your good. We love to connect you with people you may be very familiar with and people you've never heard of before. We all have a story and we believe there is power in telling them and in listening to them. We are your hosts, Emily and Beth Ann. And this is the Glory Tellers Podcast. As long as I draw breath, I will strive to bring glory to his name. Heaven is more real to me than ever before because one of my children lives there. Quote by Teresa Davis. Welcome back to the Glory Tellers podcast. This is Emily and I'm here with Beth Ann. Hello. The quote that you just heard was actually by a friend of mine that I'm excited to introduce you to today. I have a feeling that she is going to be the answer to many families' prayers. Teresa is a grief mentor author, and podcaster, as well as a practicing RN. On her website, she says the eyes of grief sent her on a quest to see if she believed God who was who he said he was. The lens she now views life from has transformed her heart and mind. She now professes to love Jesus more than she ever thought possible. She shares her journey on the podcast, The Grief Mentor, on her website, Facebook, and Instagram. Finding Hope and Healing in the Midst of Grief is a devotional book that she authored for the brokenhearted. Even with all of these accomplishments, she has taken time to talk to us today. We are so happy that you are here, Teresa. Welcome to the Glory Tellers podcast. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Beth Ann. I am excited to be here with you today. Yeah, well, I would like to know a little bit more about Teresa first. So can you share a little bit about your family, some of your hobbies, what you do for a living? Okay. Well, I'm married to the love of my life. It'll be 39 years in July. Congratulations. No, thank you. I don't even know how that's possible. (laughs) Uh, I have two children, a son and a daughter. Um, My son is in heaven. I am Nana to five grandchildren from ages eight to newborn. We just had a new addition to our family here just recently. I am an RN for 39 years. I work at a surgery center. My husband and I also own a business for which I do all of our marketing. Uh, And I started a ministry to walk alongside those that grieve. And I love to read. I love to write. And I love to love on my family. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. You have a very full life, Teresa, but it sounds like a very fulfilling life, too. Yes, ma'am. It is full is a nice uh, way to describe it. It's very Mm -hmm. I love all that. Well, um, the Grief Mentor exists to restore hope, promote healing, and equip grieving souls for life after loss. Um, And you say you help people see God in the dark. Um, I'm wanting to know just a little more about Grief Mentor. Like, what is it? We know that this is a ministry and a podcast. um, And I'd love for you to share with our listeners just how that started and what fruit you have seen from that so far. My son was a corporate pilot and he died in a plane crash mm-hmm. on November 30th, 2018. Mm-hmm. So my world was turned upside down in a way that I could have never begun to imagine. Mm-hmm. Over time, I started just, um, I had this desire to help other people. I, I, that's just how God has wired me. And I've been involved in uh, women's ministries for years. I was a, a table leader facilitator um, at my church for many years, for about 10 years, till God gave me, I put on my heart one day that he wanted me to take a break. And I really couldn't understand 
why. Mm-hmm. I remember it distinctly. Uh, we were on vacation and we were at the beach, which is our happy place. And he just kept putting on my heart, I, I, I want you to step down for a little while. And this was in July. And Andrew uh, and Erica came home uh, for a job in February. And he wanted me, he just told me he wanted me to spend more time with my family. And then, of course, we lost Andrew that following November. So I look back on that and I see the hand of God preparing me for a journey that I had no idea that was coming. But because of my desire to get answers, I just dove into the Word of God after a period of time. Um, We'll talk about that maybe a little later. But I began to share my grief about 18 months after we, after Andrew died, and it seemed to have an impact on people. And I was sharing it on social media, and I began to get some comments, and people would begin to tell me how much it was helping them. And it it grew from five minute videos where, you know, I would share whenever I felt like I wanted to do it. There was no rhyme or reason to it. I would just make a video about what I was struggling with that particular day. And it just kind of grew to where I am now. I love teaching people what God has taught me Mm -hmm. from getting into his word to find the answers to my questions. And Mm -hmm. that's how the ministry began. So what we do before our episodes is we typically will poll our listeners and our audience on social media and we'll ask them questions. We'll sort of prepare them for the topic that's going to be recorded on. And so we just casually asked people, are you grieving? Um, And some other grief questions. And so I thought it would be interesting to share that here. We had 40% of the people who we polled said that they were currently grieving something or someone in their life. 55% of the people said they felt like they had to hide their grief. And 100% of the people felt that this is that our society rushes grief. Um, To follow up with that, I said, if you did answer that you are grieving, what are you grieving? And the answers truly surprised me because when I think of grief, I think of loss of a loved one. But what really shocked me was that more of the responses were things that I, you know, I thinking on now, of course, would assume as grief, but um, some of the answers were divorce, um, ending a hard relationship, a husband who's terminally ill, broken friendships, um, of course, death of a loved one, coming to terms with not being able to have biological children and infertility. And it just, it really opened your eyes to the people walking around right next to you at the grocery store or that are in the school pickup line behind you. Like those people are grieving something like everyone is carrying something. Um, so keeping that in mind, I'm going to ask you some questions that are framed for those people, the people who are currently in grief, which sounds like it's a lot of people. So those are the sort of questions that we're going to be asking you for our poll today. What has surprised you about grief? What has surprised you in your grief journey? Well, I I want to go I want to go back to your poll, which yes. I I love I love the responses that you got from from that because mm-hmm. grief has opened up my eyes much like this poll opened up your eyes. There are just so many hurting people that 
you never, because, you know, 50, 55% of the people said they felt like they had to hide their grief. And that absolutely breaks my heart. I know. Just absolutely breaks my heart because one of the things that I hear often is people tell me you've given, you've given me permission to grieve and that while that is heavy, that makes me so, um, it makes me feel like that I know that God is using me in the, in the way that he, he, he needs to use me. Because if people are saying 55% of the people felt like they had their grief and people are telling me, you're giving me permission to grieve, then all I can say is to God be the glory. Um, but to answer your question, what has surprised me about grief um, how awful it is, mm. how desperate I became just to be able to breathe because the weight of the loss of Andrew was so crushing to the point that I thought I would absolutely die, literally die under the weight of it, that, that life can be reduced to a moment by moment existence in the blink of an eye that you can go to bed one night and your world is good and right and full of hope. And you can wake up the next day and your life completely disappears into hopelessness. I was surprised at the depth and the longevity of the pain. You know, most of us view pain. And when you hear the word pain, most people equate that with, with physical pain or, or temporary pain. But the grief, the pain that grief brings, there is no relief. I was surprised, to be honest, that my belief system was completely shaken to the point that I questioned everything that I had ever been taught or believed. Those, those are the, the biggest things about the grief journey that impacted my life. It, it, I'd never had experienced. I've lost both my parents and I love them dearly. But the death of my child is more than I thought I could bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love just sharing that with people because I think some of this rushing that we seem to do, um, wanting people to just, you know, be through their grief um, comes in part because we don't understand that. <laughs> we don't understand just how awful and deep and devastating it is. Um, so, and, and you know, Bethann, yeah, you don't, yeah, you can't expect somebody to understand that because it's not something you can imagine. Because nobody walks around every day saying, Well, imagine what it would feel like to lose a child. No, you know, if that thought enters your mind, you shut it off completely because it's unbearable. So it's unrealistic for us to expect people to understand. We don't want you to understand for one thing, but just but in any type of grief or loss, those things that you mentioned in your in your poll, you know, you can't expect somebody to understand it unless they've lived it. Yes, that is a very good point. Um, but with the grief being so heavy and hard and devastating, you know, but then you do have to live day to day with it. So how, how do we live with that grief on a day to day basis? Well, I tell you how you, you, you don't, you, you, you don't live day to day. You live moment by moment. And, and, 
And I know that's hard to grasp um, unless you've been through a devastating loss, but especially uh, with sudden loss or death by suicide, that is that takes on survival. And you don't look at your life as a day at a time anymore. You look at your life as moment by moment, maybe hour by hour at the most, because grief is very disorienting. It's it's like being on a merry-go-round that's spinning very, very fast. And, and as you try to look out past the merry-go-round, everything you see is like a blur and, it, and it's real nauseating. And the world just keeps going and going, but your world has stopped. So in the early stages of, of grief, it's a challenge to do anything that we would consider normal, or at least it was for me. The fog is so heavy, your mind can't process literally what to do next. Your, your body kind of goes through the motions and people will see you and they'll see the external, but they have no idea uh, the complete chaos that's going on inside because your body, your body will go through the motions, but you're not present. So how long that disorientation and fog lasts, you know, there's, there's a lot of dependent factors on that. The relationship you have with the person that you lost affects your grief, the manner in which the person that you love died. Grief management significant, significantly impacts how you transition from that surviving, like I just described, to being able to live your life again. You know, there's there's a quote that I say, um, if you don't manage your grief, it will manage you. Learning how to cope when the world continues without the one you love is heavily dependent upon how you manage your grief. Um, you know, in my opinion. So it's like the beginning stages of grief are so debilitating that really it is it is nothing but pure survival. Uh, but where you go from there, and we may talk about that a little bit later, but where you go from that point really will determine how you are able to live life. So obviously, I have not lost a child, but for the first time in my life, I had a pretty devastating loss two years ago. And um, it was my grandmother who was more of, she felt more like a second mother figure to me. So it was, it was devastating. It came on fast. We did hospice care. I, you know, was in the room with her when she passed away. It was a very, very heavy season for me. Um, and it felt like, um, I, I, it, I was going through it for the first time. So I almost didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know what that was going to look like for me. I looked at other people and saw how they were grieving and thought, well, my grief doesn't look like their grief. So am I doing something wrong? And I remember being almost angry that the world kept going and people kept making appointments and continuing to go to school. And I wanted just to look around at everyone and be like, stop. Like, isn't her life worth just like a pause? Can we just pause for a second? And, um, you know, life continues to go. And so like figuring out how to grieve while you still put one foot in front of the other and continue life and continue taking care of your kids. And um, it's hard. And I think that it looks different for everyone. And we had someone um, message us privately who sort of said the same thing. And I resonated with her because she said, 
when her mother died that everyone kind of looked to her like, well, you, you know, you should be a mess right now. You should be just emotional and, you know, crying all the time. And she said, I was the strong one. I had to kind of hold it together and make the arrangements. And it was like people were agitated with her that she wasn't grieving the right way. She wasn't showing enough emotion. So what's wrong with you? Like you're not grieving correctly. So is there even a right way to grieve? And what does it look like when people grieve differently? Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, yes. And there, and the, to answer the question, no, there is not a right or wrong way to grieve. You know, case in point, you sharing your, your relationship with your grandmother. Not everybody has that kind of relationship with your grandmother. You're so blessed to be able to have had that relationship with her. So the measure of our grief is often the depth of our love. Now, with that said, your friend whose mother passed away, you know, people have periods of, um, how do we say this? There is no time limit on grief. And grief has many phases. So I do not believe that there is a right way or wrong way to grieve. However, I do want to say this, Grief makes us very vulnerable. It rattles your cage. You don't expect it. You can't, you can't even begin to understand something like that until you've experienced, like you, like you mentioned, Emily, with your grandmother, it really rattles your cage. And so you have to be careful because it may open your mind to, to things that you may not have considered as an option before. Often when somebody we love so desperately dies, uh, a lot of influences um, can, can, can affect how we manage our grief. I'm a person of faith. Uh, but, you know, I, I was very angry at God and rejected him and, you know, questioned everything. But some people feel like they want to connect with their loved one in a different way. Well, maybe they're not here, but I can connect with them in a different way. So I feel like that it, it leaves you in a vulnerable place where you might consider something as an option that you've never considered it before. Grieving hearts and minds are not rational when we experience trauma and death is trauma. I mean, it is a trauma. Uh, even if you've loved someone uh, and they've been ill for a period of time, death is a shock. Imagining living life without someone you love is different than actually living it. And then the permanence of death can leave one in a desperate place. And with your, with your friend, the person, you know, he, you mentioned about, you know, people watching her and judging her grief. First of all, they have no idea what's going on in her personal space. Right. You know, there, there are those of us that are comfortable showing emotion. There are those, those of us like me, I cannot control my emotion. So when it comes, it comes. And, you know, I can choose to be embarrassed about that, or I can choose to let it minister to somebody, but I can't control it. Much like the person who maybe is not showing any type of grief on the outside, their grief may be very much internalized. So you have no idea what's going on inside that person's mind and heart. And it's not fair to sit back and judge somebody and say whether, you know, they should be or should not be. It's just, that's just something you just absolutely do not go to. That's not fair. It's not fair to the person that's experiencing the loss. Um, I believe it's imperative to have someone help you manage your thoughts and behaviors because you're, you're not rational. 
grieving most of the time. Now, you can have periods of rational moments, just like your friend. She may look like she's okay, but you don't know if she's, you know, screaming her head off in the shower. Mm -hmm. So it's very important for us to help somebody in our life to be able to manage our thoughts and behavior. And for me, I think it's important to have somebody that's a professional because they're going to be able to help you realize uh, whether or not your thoughts are rational or irrational. And a lot of times there's a lot of guilt that comes along in our grief journeys. I mean, I don't know anybody that has not had some guilt after a loved one dies. And sometimes we just need somebody to take our frame of reference because we have so much emotion connected to it to take our frame of reference and turn it back to us and give us a different perspective that's one of the things that has been huge in my grief journey with going to counseling because really the mind can be a dangerous place especially for those that are grieving um so i think it's important and for me i chose a counselor that shared my spiritual beliefs um, because when we're desperate to have our loved ones back and we can't imagine living life without them, we may allow ourselves to go down a path that may not be beneficial for our grief journeys because we seek comfort and we want relief from pain. There's this that pain that I talked about that there's there's no quenching of it. And so as human beings, we we want pain to go away. And so it's it's a dangerous place to be. And we may seek comfort from places that are not healthy, but we got to keep in mind there is no magic formula to take away the pain. And, you know, I really believe the worst possible choice that a grieving heart can make is to suffer alone. Mm. You know, we were not created to do life alone. We are certainly not created to grieve alone. So true. Um, and I think, you know, getting that counselor, that outside source, I would imagine is pretty vital too, because I could see in myself where I might expect like my husband to fill in that gap or something like that. But then when he says certain things to me, I'm like, you know, well, that's you. <laughs> uh, when it's somebody you're in relationship with, I think sometimes you don't value what they say in the in the correct mindset or the correct way you know um so and, I and, and that's that's a really really that's a really good point because um especially in relationships when you've got two people that are grieving that really can put a stress on a marriage or a relationship because you're grieving and you're looking to the person that normally comforts you and they can't comfort you or you're grieving differently because everybody is unique so what I need in my grief may not be what you need in your grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about the person who's listening, who maybe is fresh in their grief? They are experiencing new grief. Maybe they just lost someone or they just received a really life altering diagnosis. Um, what advice would you give to someone in those first days? Wow. Um, you know, that just really takes me, um, that really takes me back you know, I think the most important thing is to allow yourself to grieve. You know, I think it's important to seek help with within at least the six months, within six months of losing your loved one, because, you know, grief can get very complicated. And the earlier we seek help, the better. 
but allowing yourself the time to grieve and to be honest. You know, when we were talking a little bit ago about the differences in people and their grief, I'm a big component of Grief Share. And it's a 13-week video-driven program. And most places only charge you for the workbook. So it's not a, an expensive um, adventure. But it's 13 weeks of spending time with people that get it. But a quick story, a personal story. When, um, when Andrew died, he died November 30th. There was a class grief share starting up at our church in January. And so it was just basically a month after Andrew died. And Erica, my daughter-in-law, she wanted to go. And she wanted me to go with her. And I really wasn't ready. I, I was so overwhelmed. I just, I wasn't ready. However, I felt like I couldn't let her go into this, you know, grief share. This 28-year-old girl who's going to be with all these 60-year-olds that lost their spouses. You know, I had to go to protect her and to whatever was going on in my crazy mind. <laughs> uh, so the first session was so awful for me that I thought I was going to explode. Like I was looking for the door. It was like, a, I, I want, I was like a deer. I wanted to bolt. It's like, let me get out of here because I really thought I was, couldn't, I, I couldn't handle it, but I didn't leave because my love for her is like, I've got to be here. I've got to be that support for her. We get out in the parking lot and I told her, I said, honey, I love you, but I can't do this. And she said, okay, I understand, but I have to do it. So, you know, that, that shows you the difference. I needed more personal space. I needed to be able to sit back and be able to take in what I was going through. But her, she needed to be in the presence of other people immediately. And, you know, God's plan is always better than our plan. And he, um, it worked out perfectly. She went to class. Tony and I stayed with the kids. And those 60-year-old uh, ladies, those widows in that group, took her under her wing uh, like they were her own and mothered her in such a way she still has a relationship with those ladies. So, you know, often in our minds, what we think is best for someone we love, it's not necessarily what, you know, God's best is. But allow yourself to grieve in the way you need to grieve. I needed space. I needed to, I needed to get this thing right with God in my head. Because I was so angry at him, I couldn't see past it. So the the overwhelmingness of all of that, I had to work through that. I wasn't ready um, to to get in the situation to where someone was going to try to help me move forward. And you, you know, you mentioned in the poll that a hundred percent of the people felt like society rushes our grief. I could not agree more. Our culture reflects its values. And our culture seeks immortality and youth and staying young. Death is feared. People are confused about life after death. So rather than acknowledge that we're all going to die, they want to find some way to live forever. And, you know, God tells us in his word, it's appointed into every man wants to die. Everybody that walks the face of this earth, besides a few people in the Old Testament, are going to experience death. You know, we have an attitude in our culture that allowing yourself space to grieve is somehow selfish or, or weak. So we, we feel this constant pressure 
of having to conform just just like you were the the person you were talking about Emily Lee that was feeling pressured and judged by other people and her grief we feel this constant pressure by people that we have to conform to their expectations and people don't want to hear about pain people don't want they, they you know sorrow brings about pain that can't be fixed and for in order for us to be able to share our pain you know people have got to be able to listen to pain and they can't fix it. You know, we live in a culture that wants to fix everything. And if you can't fix it, get rid of it because it makes us uncomfortable. But the reality is that grief takes time to work through, you know, give yourself grace, realize that the journey is not linear. You don't, you don't go from point A to point B, C, D, and you're done. You know, sometimes we get to a place where, you know, you might be feeling like your your day actually feels like it might be normal, kind kind of like it used to before your loved one died, and then and then you might think you've turned a corner, and then tomorrow comes, and and you have this sadness that you can't explain, or you experience a trigger that brings it all back, and you know then the thoughts come in like, well, am I ever going to be able to live life again? Time doesn't heal all wounds. That's not true. You know, the saying, if you're not moving forward, then you're going backwards, doesn't apply in grief journeys. You know, there's a lot of going back and forth and it's, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. But our culture and our society doesn't support that. So it forces us to turn inward and to isolate and that is the worst thing that you can do when you're grieving because how you use your uh, when you're grieving matters so much because um, it's so important, like I mentioned before, to have someone in your life that's kind of guiding you on how to take those steps uh, to move forward. Um, and But there's a lot of societal pressure that you have to constantly work against, you know. Mm -hmm. Every time you go to the grocery store, you know, people are looking at you, they're watching you, they're judging you. So it's a very delicate, um, it's a very delicate process because you've, you've got to be strong enough to say, I need my space. I need the space to be able to grieve. And so you need cheerleaders. You need people in your corner. You need people supporting you while you're trying to walk through that valley something that came to mind when you were talking is it's so interesting to me how self-care seems so encouraged and you know a good thing in our culture and you're encouraged to get away and take time for yourself but then when it comes to grief it's like no don't take time for yourself hurry up you know mm -hmm. like that is just so yeah so because because I believe my opinion it because it makes people so uncomfortable mm-hmm yeah. You know, I can clear a room, you know, you, I, I have the best coworkers in the world and they have walked this journey with me in, in incredible ways. But I have, you know, I have people in my life. If I even mention Andrew's name, their face goes down, their eyes go down and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. I think sometimes it's fear of what if this happens to me? Mm -hmm. And it's too uncomfortable 
to open your mind up to being able to connect with me or anybody emotionally, because then you might introduce the thought of what would I do if this happened to me? So I, I think that's a little bit of it, but I think in general, we as a society are very uncomfortable with death and we're uncomfortable with seeing people go through that kind of pain. Because like I said before, it's not, it's not something that uh, a massage is going to fix, mm. you know, or, or whatever. The self-care is really encouraged, but self-care, um, like you said, it, it it's encouraged as long as it doesn't affect me, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I mean, when you were talking about culture in our society and how we view death, it was kind of a mind blowing thing for me to think about. It was very thought provoking because you're so right. We are after youth and looking younger and staying younger. And, you know, we don't know how to talk about death. And I think it's because it forces people to really think about what they believe. I think it goes back a lot to faith because if you don't know what happens after you die, if you've got questions, big questions about existence and creation, and is there a God? That's going to force you to have some really hard conversations with yourself. So I think that it forces people to really sort of look into their soul and have hard questions and they don't like it. Definitely. People are definitely uncomfortable with their mortality uh, and people do anything to try to live longer. So, and I agree with you a hundred percent, Emily, and in, in my journeys, uh, you know, I've people who are able to connect with faith have hope. And that is not present in people who don't believe. Yeah. I've always loved that verse in the Bible. I can't tell you exactly where it is, but it says, talks about how we grieve. We don't grieve as those without hope. Mm. Um, and that's always really stuck with me. I felt that because when Mimi passed, so we always said that she had a direct line to God. She was that person. I mean, if you'd say, I'll see you tomorrow, she'd say, Lord willing. I mean, like everything, was <laughs> I love that. everything. And so when she died, there was just this peace that I don't know that you can really put into words if you don't experience it. Like, you know, like there was, you just knew, like, I know I'm looking at her body right now, but she's not here. I'm going to cry now. <laughs> um, but it does give you that hope because I was sad for me. I was not sad for her. I was happy for her. Um, but I was sad for our family. And that grief is, you know, it's different. Like when you know that person had a faith, it's different because I know I will see her again one day. And without that, that would be the worst feeling in the world. But I know that I will see her one day because I know she had a relationship with the Lord. Well, and you know, uh, Emily, the only thing that has kept me from losing my mind is knowing that Andrew may not have a physical body, but he is still very much alive. And, you know, you're talking about how, you know, we were talking about how differently people grieve. You know, Andrew, our son was a pilot. So, um, gracefully the air the um the um, airport manager at clark regional this little airport here near us is where andrew started his career and they allowed us to put a memorial stone at the entrance of that airport uh, i often think about those pilots that drive in that on that driveway and see his 
see that every single day of their life, how sobering that must be for them. But for me, and I'm grateful that's there and I'm honored that's that there, but I can't stand to go there because that means Andrew's dead. And in my heart and mind, he's not. Now, on the other side, his dad, uh, you know, my husband, Tony, that is that gives him something to do. He goes there nearly every day. He makes sure it looks pristine. He, you know, talks to Andrew while he's there. I mean, so, you know, Andrew loved the snow. And when it snows, Tony says, I'm going for a ride. I don't care if it's nine o'clock at night. And I know where he's going because he'll go up there and he'll sit with Andrew in the snow. So, you know, that is going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how everybody grieves differently. And yeah. we should just have so much grace, guys, for people that grieve. You know, one of the things in your poll was that people were grieving not being able to have biological children. And, you know, I have not been through that. But the people that suffer that, it's a huge loss. And so we just, we need to be, we need to have the heart of Christ. When, and we need to ask for the eyes of Christ. Because when we see people, if you really look at people, if you look into their eyes, you can see the pain that they suffer. You know, they're not going to tell you your whole life story if you've just met somebody, but you can tell when somebody's in pain and when they're hurting, it's just, let's just have a little grace. Let's just have some grace for each other. I just think that's so important for our journeys because you never know. You said it, Emily, in the beginning, you never know what the person you're standing next to in the grocery line has been through. Right. Yes. And that is one of the main reasons we even started this podcast was just thinking of the stories of everyone around us, you know, and that everyone is going through something hard. And I just keep being reminded over and over, even with people, you know, differences in grieving, differences in opinion, as you said, grace, just give each other grace. Mm -hmm. uh, it can feel so hard sometimes, but I believe that the Holy Spirit can make it so easy if we'll just let them, you know, if we're not grieving at the moment, um, but we have friends that are grieving, um, I think we want to know, like, how, how can we love them well? How can we support them well? I'm sure you have had things done for you that were really meaningful and helpful for you. And you probably had things said that made you cringe. <laughs> uh, maybe they came from a good place. But I think we would just love to hear, you know, what, is there anything we shouldn't say? What, what is helpful? What is not? I can't wait to answer this question. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm so, I'm so glad that you asked me this question because I have a lot to say about it. Um, the most important thing that you can do for a grieving friend is to give them your presence. It's not what you do for them. It's the fact that you're making yourself available to them. Listen, let them talk. If they want to share their grief, let them share their grief. Now, a lot of this has to do with the type of relationship that you have with the person that's grieving. 
Um, I was made aware by a friend of mine. There's a bullseye, I think, think that's available, and, and I'm not sure the name of it, but it kind of gives you the um, the closeness of the, the closest people to you and then walk it out. So, you know, somebody that you don't see in your everyday life, they're not going to be the person that's going to come and sit with you while you're grieving. So, um, I'm, so what I'm talking about here is the people that are really close to you that are trying to support you during your grief, but they don't know how. You know, listen, let them share their grief, let them cry, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Don't try to fix them. Just be there. You don't even have to talk. You don't have to have the answers. You know, often because we're so geared in our society to fix it, it's like, okay, you're, you're listening, but you're not listening. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. You know, um, I look back on life before we lost Andrew and I'm so guilty of all these things I'm saying, you know, you're sitting there listening and you, and you just want to give them solutions, right? You just want to you say, well, you know, let's give them a solution to fix this. Well, there is no solution. So you, you don't have to have answers, you know, avoid saying quick platitudes. You know, I, I could go a whole list of those things, but you know, things like they're better off or, or, you know, your loved one would want you, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that because that, you know, that comes out of our insecurity of wanting to somehow make them feel better, but it doesn't make them feel better. You know, just be comfortable with the fact that, that, that you can't fix it. There's nothing you can say or do to make it go away. So when you realize that, you know, then, then, then what you can focus on is providing them comfort by making yourself available and being sensitive to the fact that there'll be days maybe that they don't want to see anybody. You know, don't take it personal. It's not about you. It's about them trying to manage this roller coaster of emotions that they're experiencing, you know, and something else I want to say too, be aware of your limitations of support. Supporting someone who is grieving can be exhausting. So you have to be able to, you know, people that have giving hearts that are just all in, those people give to the point to where they're exhausted and then they can't handle it anymore. So you've got to be aware of your own needs and to meet those. And sometimes you'll need to step away and refresh yourself so that you continue, you know, you'll be able to continually have the ability to support them. A, a person who's grieving needs a network of support. It cannot fall on all of this, the same person every time. That That's really just not going to work. That's why the person that you live with, they cannot totally, you know, I remember, um, and, you know, we sought help immediately because, you know, I had enough wisdom to know I was way in over my head. Now, my husband, on the other hand, you know, he's a man. Men view all that kind of stuff differently. And I remember one day when he he literally had a panic attack. He was working in the base. He, he literally just had a panic attack. And we got through that. And I said, I cannot handle your grief and my grief. You have got to get help. And, you know, I pushed him toward that. And and he'll tell you now today, it's like I, I made it not an option because I knew if he didn't get help, we were going to drown. And so he will tell you today it's the best decision he ever made. But taking that step 
is really hard for some people. So, so you got to realize if you're trying to support someone that you have to manage your ability to be able to support as well and be honest with them. If you need to take a little bit, um, as far as tangible ways to help people, um, I'll tell you a quote, my friend says, my dear friend, Tammy, she says, see a need, meet a need. Because when you're grieving, you, you, you don't even know how you're going to literally put one foot in front of the other. So people often in their goodness and their kindness out of their heart say, well, what can I do to help you? You know, they're eager. They're just like, oh, you know, what do you need? I'm here for it. But in your mind, you're like, I have no idea what I need. So her her phrasing that is so perfect, I think. See a need, meet a need. And that can be practical things. It could be like, you know, for us, we had people come and take care of our yard. It was change of season. We have a lot of leaves. You know, we couldn't do any of that stuff. So things that you can see that's practical in their everyday life, maybe going to the grocery store or uh, creating a meal train, just practical things maybe. If you're close enough to them, in their life. If you're not that close, you know, one of the things that, that just, I love so much when I was a few uh, months down the road, you'll get a lot of cards in the beginning and those cards are wonderful. They are, they are wonderful because you're being flooded with, I care, but six months down the road, you don't get so many. So, you know, just, all you don't, it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to write a book, get a card and say, I'm thinking of you today, put it in the mail. When I got a card like that and opened it up, the tears would just flow because I knew somebody was thinking about me. So we wanted, we often think of these grandiose things of, of, oh, I want to do so much, but sometimes it's a little thing. It's a text that says, you're on my mind today. Those kind of things can mean the world to somebody that's grieving. Um, as far as what to say and not to say, I, I, I literally just like could not wait to answer this question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my, my heart is for, because I'm that person, okay? I'm that person that's jumping up and down and saying, what can I do to help? Because I'm so eager and I want to be there, but I may not know how. And I, I didn't, you know, before we lost Andrew, I had no ill will. You know, people that come up to you with that, with that question, they, they seriously, honestly want to help you. So I want to say this, there is no list of all the right things to say or not to say. And, and I, and I want to clear this up because so often I hear people say, well, I was so afraid that I was going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that I just didn't do anything. And, oh, that, that is, uh, I want people to know, we need you. We need you. And uh, be because everyone grieves differently, though, what may be a trigger for me, but not be a trigger for somebody else. So how in the world is somebody that's coming up to me wanting to support me know all of those things? So, it, and it's very individualized. So, so for example, for me, I'll just use me for example, my son died in a plane crash. So there's many things that have a potential to trigger me. So anything related to air travel, you know, sound, I've had a lot of therapy over with the sounds of airplanes. You know, when I would hear sounds, you know, I would immediately recall all of the things that people said in the news they heard that day. I would hear it 
go through my head every time as soon as I would hear a plane. And we are, we are, we live in a path, uh, we're in the UPS path. So this was every single day laying there in the bed at night. I mean, but, but how would you know that? Right. There's no way seeing planes, hearing conversations about someone's son going to school to be aviation, you know, to be a pilot. See, seeing a pilot walking to their plane or going about their day would send me down a rabbit hole because my son can't do that anymore. But but how in the world could somebody know that that is not in your head? So our expectations of people we need to have a little bit of grace. Um, and, and for example, so um, let's just say somebody's child died by drowning. You know, we we all have sayings that we've heard all of our lives. You know, like, whew, well, I'm drowning in work right now. Well, that's not going to be so good for the person whose child died by drowning. But how can you know that? So I just, I want us to have a little bit of grace. There is no way a person can meditate on every single word that's going to come out of their mouth that they're going to offend. Not going to, nobody's going to talk to you ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? If if they've got to sit there and think about every single thing that they could possibly say that might be a problem for you. So So here's the bottom line. We're all going to say something at some point or another that's going to upset somebody that's grieving. I've done it. You know, I think about all the times before Andrew that I've done or said something like that. And it won't be intentional, but it's going to happen. So herein lies the disconnect. Often people are so afraid, like I said before, of saying the wrong thing. They stay away. And that's the most hurtful of all. So, So here's the thing. If you say something to somebody that offends them and you realize it, as soon as it's out of your mouth, you see the nonverbal and you know you've said something, you just tell them you're sorry. You know, when you're grieving, we can tell what someone's true intentions are. You know somebody's trying to intentionally harm you. You you know when somebody means well. And when, when they say, oh, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. Then, you know, we're going to take you in our arms and we're going to say, it's okay. Because you didn't mean it to hurt us. But don't stop reaching out. Don't stop loving because they need you. Now, with that said, I, I do want to say two things. So, and this is something that I think is pretty universal. And this is the way I, why I'm saying it. Number one, never ask somebody the details about the way their loved one died. As people, we are all curious about death, especially, you know, in a sudden death situation. And the first question people have on their minds is, well, how did they die? Um, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, you know, I, I know people are curious and sometimes people have said things to me that have just paralyzed me. And I, it's not because they wanted to hurt me, but it was because they were curious. So, so be sensitive to that, uh, because those are, um, those are very intimate, personal things. When, you know, uh, Emily, you, you said you were in the room with your grandmother when she died. That is a treasured moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to share it, share it. But not everybody 
is like that. So, you know, there are times that you might want to talk about it. You know, there are times, and, and, and if I'm with somebody that I feel very safe with, and that's another thing I didn't mention about advice to people who grieve. Allow yourself to grieve, but surround yourself with people that you know are safe. That That's really important because you're so vulnerable and you don't want to be around people that make you feel uncomfortable or feel a little threatened. So people that you pull really close, you know, pull in those people that make you feel safe. But if you want to talk about it, then you you want somebody to listen. I mean, I, I'll just be honest. You know, if, if I want to talk about Andrew and his life or even the way he died, and there are times that I do, then I want to be able to do that. So allow the person to do that. Let them take the lead. Listen. Don't ask questions unless they want you to ask questions. You know, sometimes they just want you to listen. Um, the other thing I want to, that I want to talk about is how do you approach somebody that you really care about? Say you hadn't seen them for a while and you walk up. The first thing you want to say is, how are you doing? And I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. And, and it's fine. So I don't want somebody to be listening to this podcast and say, oh my gosh, you know, I've, I've said that to people and I shouldn't have said it. So, but I just want you to have a little bit of a different focus. So inside the head of somebody who's grieving, instead of when somebody comes up to me and they say, how are you doing? I know they really mean it. They don't mean harm. And, and now I'm okay with that. Now I'm fine with that. But when you're in that very early part of your grief journey and somebody asked you that, it's overwhelming because you have to, it's like, well, well how am I doing? Well, I don't know how I'm doing. And then, and then you find yourself, you're, you're trying to sum up your entire grief journey and, and what, and you've got this person looking at you and you're trying to figure out what to say. And you can't, because you don't know, you know, you can't, you can't summarize entire grief journey in one or two sentences. So the better thing to focus on, and this is what I like to encourage people to do, say to them, how was your day? Or how's your day going? Because that's a small chunk of time. So remember when I was talking about how we live moment to moment. So you can't even think about the whole day, much less, you know, a larger space of time. So say, how is your day going? Because then they can say, well, I've had a good day or today's been really bad. And then you can step in and offer support. You can give them a hug. You can pray with them if that's something in your comfort zone. So it's much easier um, to address how is your day rather than how are you doing? Does that make sense to you guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like all of that is just such solid advice. As you were talking, I j I've been taking notes because it is, it's it, one, the tangible. I, yes, <laughs> I mean, I can also say that like feeding people, I feel like is an act of serving. And so if someone is mourning or if someone is going through something, I'm like, what can I feed you? Because it's something tangible I can do. So the see a need, meet a need really resonated with me, but also having those um, suggestions from you of things to say or not to say, and just to have grace. I feel like that is just such great advice because it's coming from the source. 
no one ever wants to say the wrong thing. And I feel like a lot of it, you know, like, oh, I'm sure that your grandmother's an angel looking down on you and she's in the room. And, you know, it's like, I know that it's all well intended, but sometimes we just need to be quiet and listen and not make it about you. All of that. I mean, I just was taking mental notes. It's so good. And I know that we're covering a lot of ground and um, I, I appreciate all of this because I feel like um, a long episode like this, again, we're not rushing the topic. I want to cover a lot of this about grief because obviously the poll is showing me that pretty much half the people that were watching our stories are grieving something. And that is a very, 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 very small portion of the internet. So I just, I want to just bottle all of this up and send it to everyone who is grieving because it is, it's so good, Teresa. Um, and you, so I'm going to approach a topic that is probably hard. Um, you've, I listened to one of your podcasts and you were openly talking about how you were angry with God. Um, and I would just like for you to speak to that person today who is also in that position where they are angry with God, maybe feeling guilty about it, but they're angry about their situation, whether that be the death of a loved one or grieving something else. What would you say to that person and how did you come out of that? I would give them permission to be angry at God. Yeah. You know, as, as believers, um, if, if you were raised in church, you know, we all kind of heard that really kind of unspoken or spoken things. Oh, never question God, you know, but here we are left here on this planet earth and we are bearing burdens that are overwhelming. Yeah. And I believe, and, you know, I, I don't know, you might not, <laughs> You might want to cut this part out, but I feel that the church has failed us in so many ways in regarding this, because often in so many, um, in so many people's lives, uh, the subject of suicide, the subject of depression, uh, the subject of, of anything that the church feels like, well, you just need to accept it by faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times have we been told that, well, you just need to accept it by faith. Now, the truth of that statement is belief in God is faith, right? He's not sitting right here physically. I cannot reach out and touch him. So yes, faith is, you have to have faith to believe in God. However, this is what this, okay, this is a soapbox for me. So, <laughs> um, and I feel very strongly about it. Because people have come up to me, Emily, and they have said to me, I'm going to cry. It's okay. Listening to your story has given me the right to grieve. Mm. So often people just want to squash it. People in the church will say, well, now you just need Jesus. And well, yeah, we need Jesus, but sometimes we need people here on earth with skin on and we need to be able to express what's going on inside of us. So, so here's the thing. Yes, I was angry at God and I've been a Christian since I'm 10 years old. I've memorized scripture my whole life. I've done Bible study after Bible study, but this was real personal. You know, you, 
you're going to tell me that you're the God of the universe and I read the whole Psalms one after the other and you're telling me I will protect you. I will not allow your foot to get hit against the stone. I come before you and after you. I will, I will, I will. And now my son is dead. Mm. Explain that to me, God. Okay. And that's where I was, uh, Emily. And, you know, I, I felt betrayed. I felt like I served you all my life and this how you pay me back. Mm -hmm. You know, he, I, I feel like God broke his promise. If you're there, if you're listening right now and you're there, I get it. But here's what you have to do. You have to tell God how you feel about it. Don't hold it back because he knows it anyway. You know, it's hypocritical for us to think it and not tell him because he knows it anyway. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's what, that's what is so challenging for me because the church does kind of, they, they kind of want to hide heart, so, things that it's not explainable. They kind of mm -hmm. hide those things, not all churches, but some churches. So, but this is, this is the truth. Until we can truly express to God how we feel and acknowledge it, it's always going to be there, Emily. It's always going to be there lurking about. We can push it to the back of our minds, but it's going to resurface over and over. Now, I probably didn't go about it the right way. I, I will be honest about that. The communication that I had with God in the hours following Andrew's death was not pretty. I screamed terrible things at him. I called him a liar. I told him exactly how I felt about it. But here's the truth. God knows we're human. He knows we're fragile and we're frail and we can't do it without him. He knows we need him. He showed me so much grace. He let me lament and he gave me the space to do it. You know, so often in the in the church, we, we picture this, this God who has this heavy hand and 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 he's he's not he's not going to like it, he, you know, if you do this or that. But when we tell God how we feel about it, you know, in that space, I was still seeking him. I was still talking to him. I was shouting at him, but I was still talking to him. I was still seeking him in my confusion and in my darkness. He never left me. He allowed me to feel the way I felt. And then he took me by the hand and he led me to his word to find the answers that I so desperately sought. He is the ultimate father. He pulled me to his chest. He pulled me inside of his inner sanctuary and he let me stay there. And he comforted me because he knew it. I wasn't ready to be taught. I had to work through it. You know, as far as the steps that I took, I listened to the book of Job. I couldn't pray, Emily. I would shout, but I couldn't pray. I, I was so overwhelmed and I couldn't read. I couldn't focus on anything. So I would listen to the book of Job over and over and over and over. Um, and then one day it was time. 
And he spoke to me, not audibly. I want to make that clear. I've never heard God audibly speak, but he spoke to me in my spirit. I've let you lament. And now it's time for you to start being thankful for the things you still had in your life. And I resisted it for a time until one night I got down on my knees and I started reluctantly telling him the things that I was thankful for. And that night when I got up off my knees, the bitterness in my heart toward God was gone and it turned my journey around. And I was now in a place where I was teachable. And that's when he began to show me the things that he showed me, you know, in, in his word. And, and that's what I want people to hear that's listening that intimacy that we want with God. It's not about always feeling happy. It's about taking the hard things to him. It's about questioning him. You know, I've heard people say to me, well, my family says it's not right to question God. And I say, well, you know what? I did. And if I had not questioned him, he would not have taken me to the word to show me the answers. He's, he brought me and he says, okay, I want to show you this. And it's taken me to a place of in, intimacy that I didn't even know existed. He, he showed me my expectations of him were misplaced. The scripture does not promise physical protection for us. We are promised ex, it, it, physical protection. He promises spiritual protection protection. We're sealed with the promise of God. And as God began to teach me, his, I began to see his real heart. And he showed me the compassion that he had for Andrew in his death. And this changed everything. So if you are angry at God, be honest, seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, even in your anger, The scripture says that if we knock on the door, it'll be opened. Seek and you shall find. And when we seek him with a heart like that, Emily, he will reveal himself to us. That's so good, Teresa. And I just love your vulnerability because I know that's going to speak to a lot of people. And I think kind of like a parent to a child, I would much rather my children to have uh, to be angry at me, but still have a relationship with me than to not have a relationship at all. And I think it's the same with God. Like he wants us, he wants all of us. He wants not just the good parts. He wants the messy parts and the angry parts and the sad parts. And he, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not one way. And so to give him that, I feel like is trust and it's leaning into that relationship that goes deeper than surface level, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and we won't be deleting any of that because <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> straight up truth. And that's what I was thinking too about the relationship is um, that you know that's what it comes down to. Like, is this a relationship or not? Mm-hmm. Like, and that is where the church has been confusing. On one hand, this heavy-handed part that you mentioned, but on the other hand, but have a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's part of having a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Um, okay. We are reaching the end of the episode. Um, this last, uh, question in the Q and a portion, um, that I want to ask you is kind of heavy, but also light. And, um, I think grief often, um, leads people to exploring this topic more. So we would love to know, what do you think heaven is like? 
I love, I love, I love this. So when Andrew died, I wanted to know where he was. Mm. Where exactly is heaven? We know from scripture that the ultimate heaven where we're going to spend eternity with God is going to be earth after it's been made over into the new heaven and the new earth. But I wanted to know where Andrew was right now. Yes. So, of course, you know, it took me to the word. So we know from scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So I know he's with the Lord, but where? So Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, in her book, Heaven, she gives a great description of the third heaven. That's where scripture says that God resides right now, according to the word. I would go outside for walks after Andrew died, and I would look up into the sky. I would imagine seeing past the moon, past the stars, past all the galaxies, past what we consider outer space, and there is where the third heaven is. Then Andrew didn't feel so far away. He was just beyond the stars. And as I said before, the only thing that kept me from losing my mind is the fact that Andrew's not dead. He just doesn't have a physical body anymore. So what do I know? I know that heaven is where Jesus is. Andrew is living in the literal presence of our Lord every day. What form does he have? I don't know. Because I don't know what a soul looks like without a body. You know, we, we won't get our new bodies until Christ comes back. So what form Andrew's spirit has, I have no idea. What is he doing? Well, I don't know. But I do know this, that the angels praise God continually. We know from scripture that they, that the heaven is roaring with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I love praise and worship more than ever because when I'm praising and worship my heavenly father, I know that that is exactly what Andrew is doing. And I envision us worshiping together. There is nothing that bonds us closer together as human beings, as the Holy Spirit. And we, when we're in corporate worship, that to me is, is, is heaven on earth because the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in that setting is so thick and heavy. And I know that that's just a little taste of what Andrew's experiencing. I believe that heaven is full of vibrant color, more vibrant than we can ever imagine. You know, the scripture tells us that even creation groans for Christ's return. Now, here on this earth, we have death. We have death of people. We have things of death in nature. The animals decree everything is constantly decaying. But in heaven, there's going to be no decay, no death. I believe we're going to experience things beyond anything that we can imagine. I believe that we are created for a purpose here on earth, and I believe that we will have purpose in heaven, and God is going to reveal all things to us. No more unanswered questions. We're going to see through that glass clearly. Everything is going to be crystal clear, and everything will make sense. Mm -hmm. I believe we're going to experience everything good, guys. Good food. I believe we're going to have abundant food in heaven. Mm 
I believe our, our fellowship is going to be beyond anything that we can even begin to imagine here. I believe the little taste of what we experience here on earth is going to be of the good things. It's going to be magnified many times over when we get to heaven. I believe it's going to be the biggest reunion we've ever had. Emily, you're going to get to see your grandmother. You know, all the people that we've been separated from by death. That is going to be one huge reunion in that sweet place that we long for. That time with Jesus is never going to end. Um, until then, ladies, I believe that the great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on to finish our race well because they're already experiencing what we have yet to come for us. Couldn't agree more. Um, whenever Mimi passed, I haven't told many people this. Um, it was one of the last days that she was like lucid and um, not sleeping. And she, when she would close her eyes, um, she would get scared. Like she didn't, she didn't like to close her eyes because she said that she saw people sitting at a table eating and inviting her to come and join them. Wow. And she said, I think it's people who've gone before me. And from my memory, I believe that was the last day um, or she went to sleep and, and didn't wake up. So that gave me peace because I think that she knew what it was. And the hospice nurse said, you know, Sometimes people have hallucinations at the end and, you know, they're, they've got a lot of medicine and this and that. But um, she said, but, you know, if you're a believer, some say that they're getting glimpses of heaven. And that was so comforting to me. That's you know, you, how good God is, Emily. Yeah. That he allowed you, that you, he allowed you to, to, to hear that. I agree. Yeah. And any apprehension she had was just because she loved her people here so much. Oh, for you sure. Know? <laughs> yeah. You know, this is this is what I this is what I've learned about the heart of God. He knows our frailness. He knows our weakness. You know, I've studied a lot in scripture about the people that God protected physically from death and the people that he didn't. And this is something that I've learned. The people that he did not protect from physical death, he gave them a glimpse of something that they needed. For Stephen, before he was stoned, he saw the heavens opened and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. He saw what was awaiting him, just like your grandmother did. Right. And I believe 100% that that's from the Lord. And, you know, John, John the Baptist, you know, I, I've studied a lot about John the Baptist. This man was born to be the forerunner of Christ, but yet God allowed him to die a tragic way. That didn't make sense to me. And, you know, in my, in my study of scripture, what I've learned is that we're all created with purpose. Our days are numbered. In Psalms, it tells us whether that's a literal number or not. I do not know, but I do know that God creates us with a time limit and he fills us with the purpose that he created us for. John the Baptist's purpose was done and he, 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 he was killed. Mm. And, but before that, before that, while he was still in prison, he sent his men out to find out if that person that was healing people and preaching the good news, if that was the one that he had preached about and they came back to John and he was told before he died. Yes, that is Jesus. He has revealed his ministry. 
And that was something that he gave John, I believe, because he knew that he had ran his race well and he had done what he'd been called to do. So I believe that's the kind of God we serve. Oh my goodness, Teresa, this episode, I just, I mean, I want to just walk around and hand the link to people because it's just (laughs) so good. And guys, this is just a taste of Teresa's ministry. I just want to remind you that she has a podcast called The Grief Mentor. She is the author of a devotional book called Finding Hope and Healing in the Midst of Grief. She's on Facebook and Instagram, and she also has the Grief Mentor website. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with? Any any other resources or where to find you or any little last bits of advice that you would like to leave off with? You know, I, well, there's, there's two books I wanted to mention. Now, okay. everybody's different, but I am, I'm a seeker of knowledge. And that's just the way I work. And not everybody's like that. I get that. But I wanted to just mention two books that were helpful to me in my grief journey that might be helpful for somebody. Recovering from Losses in Life by H. Norman Wright is an excellent book. Um, Often when we're grieving, we can't figure out what's normal and not normal. And he does a good job of explaining that. Um, Also, griefshare.org. Go there, put in your zip code. It'll pull up a class near you. Go, even if you don't want to go, go. And then a book that really impacted me was a book by Lisa Tierkist, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Yes. That was an excellent book that helped me early in my grief journey. So those are a couple of books that people could could, uh, read if if they're like me, if if they want to seek knowledge. Okay. We're going to list those in our show notes. And we're also going to show people where they can buy your devotional and where to find you on all of the online areas. But I just want to say personally, thank you. I feel like this podcast um, helped me. (laughs) I didn't even know that you were going to be helping me personally, but you did. And um, it just, gosh, it was so good. I think this might be one of the most important podcasts that we have done. Um, because obviously a lot of people are walking through grief journeys and I just think this is going to be a blessing to them. So I really appreciate you being here today. Well, I consider it a privilege and I'm blessed to have been able to share this because uh, I want to help hurting people. Mm. Well, we love that and we love you and thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks for joining us on the show today. We hope that you have been encouraged by the story you just heard. If you thought of someone that would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Please subscribe to, review, and share our podcast. Do you or someone that you know have a story that we could share? Send us a message at glorytellerspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, don't forget to check the show notes for more resources. Mm